0: Hey, folks, and welcome to this week's podcast. Michael Shelley here. Unfortunately, we're together today because uh, Galt McDermott has passed away. I spoke to him in December of 2007, December 15th, almost exactly 11 years ago now. One of the very first interviews I did on WFMU, and uh, perhaps you'll hear a slightly less polished me, but I certainly was enthusiastic and happy to talk to him and... um, just a unique musical voice and an interesting body of work and hopefully this provides a window on all of that to you uh, just a reminder there's some interesting stuff coming up check wfmu.org slash michael for the archives and the list of upcoming stuff and uh, all I've got you here I just wish you all a, a happy new year a sane safe stress-free holiday season For me, good music is a huge part of staying stress free. Uh, And I will uh, be back next year to to talk with you. Uh, Here it is me and Galt McDermott from 2007. Yeah, there is Woe Is Me from Galt McDermott, and I believe joining us on the phone right now. Galt, welcome to WFMU. How are you?
1: I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Uh, great.
0: We've just been listening to about uh, 25 minutes or so of music with your name on it in, in, <laughs> in one way or another. It's really very interesting music. Very, it sounds like you. I don't even know you, but there's, a, there's a, such a stamp on it.
1: <laughs> well, what was that last piece? I recognize the music, but I don't remember the name.
0: Woe Is Me.
1: Well, oh from Shakespeare, yeah. From
0: Hamlet Ah, very interesting <laughs> uh, You're born in Montreal, Canada
1: Right
0: And uh, tell me, what what were you listening to as a kid? What were your folks listening to? Was there music in your house?
1: Oh yeah, my father was a very good piano player He played jazz and he played everything, classics And we used to play duets together, he
0: mm-hmm. and I And when did you start playing?
1: Well, I started on the violin when I was a kid I mean, I don't know, six or something like that And then and then I when I was around 11 I started hearing Boogie Woogie and jazz, you know Duke Ellington, that type of stuff, and I switched to the piano.
0: Mm. And were you a natural? <laughs> was it hard?
1: I, I, How, I was natural at some things. I mean, certain things I I didn't didn't take to. I didn't. There were certain kind of classical music that left me cold. I've learned to like it since. But when music, you know, when I liked it, I got it.
0: Mm. Was it yeah? So when you heard something in your head, you could you could play it turn it yeah. yeah
1: pretty much pretty much i don't really remember the process but i do know switching over to the piano took a bit of an effort hmm.
0: uh the the i guess you were a teenager in the 1940s during the war years right music was very interesting during that time uh what what were you were you studying were you into you know the what what other teenagers were
1: into <laughs> well yeah, you know, I went to dances, and the music that that, that 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 we danced to was really good music. I mean, it was all uh, jazz guys, really. I mean, the Ellington, Basie, and those big bands, and then uh, Errol Garner and, and Charlie Parker, all that stuff. That's what we. That's what I listened to. Mm. And we all listened to. It. Everybody liked it. I mean, and then of course it fell apart, in, sort of in the fifties.
0: Yeah, rock and roll killed, ev- ruined uh, no, everything.
1: No, no, it died before <laughs> rock and roll. We had that soupy stuff, you know. from... For about five years And then Presley came in And, 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 and. I think he revived music No, <laughs> He didn't kill
0: it Yeah, well, I would tend to agree uh, <laughs> 1950, your dad gets a job uh, The high commissioner To South Africa from Canada, I believe That's right And you moved to Cape Town uh, You know, that's a long way from, uh, from you know? Montreal Yeah, what happened there?
1: Uh, well, I took a degree in music I said, I gotta get this music down cold I mean, I wasn't I wasn't really good enough to make a living at it. I didn't think, so I wanted a couple of years, you know, to practice up. So I I, I took a degree, a bachelor of music, and I learned to play the organ. And, and actually, my first job was in a church, playing in a, you know, for hymns and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: was was the education, uh, you know, just a sort of a white English type of education, or was was it? Uh, you know, was there a, a South African native element to it as well?
1: <laughs> well, you know, there was apartheid down there, right? And, I mean, it had only been in, in a year when I got there, which was around fifty, and um, it didn't bother me. And we used to go out and listen to the guys at the at the uh, listen to the bands and uh, and watch the acts at the what they called locations, which is where where the Africans lived, and we were. It was never a problem. I, I could hear as much of that stuff as, I, and that's really why I went to Africa. I wanted to hear that stuff. What
0: was it like? I mean, I assume during the day you're in class getting this book education, at night you're out getting this full other musical side of the coin.
1: Well, it's all music, you know. I wanted to know what the hell the old guys did, Mozart and those people. And I was also interested in what the Africans were doing, because that was the music that moved me.
0: Hmm. And what were they doing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They were dancing. (laughs) To any damn thing they could. I mean, you, you couldn't go out of the house without hearing some guy... Singing something, or playing a guitar, or or dancing. I mean, if, when they did a job, like you know, making a road or something, they would all sing it. Hmm. And it was great.
0: Yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh, I sort of hear that in your music, but I I hear sort of all the music we've talked about so far. Is that accurate? You think?
1: Well, I I guess it is. I'm not conscious of what I you know what I'm doing when I do it now, but I'm I'm sure that stuff all influenced me.
0: Yeah, uh, the, because a lot of your music I hear. Accents in what was unusual places
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe it's me you know alphabet <laughs> music is is contrapunddle, it's all counter rhythm, I mean there's rhythms going against each other all the time, and so that makes these accents come in in
0: odd places, and it's very, I find it very exciting stuff. Yeah, very exciting stuff. Uh, After Africa, you, uh, like you said, you started working as an organist in a church and playing with a a couple of bands, including a Calypso band, and you sort of got into writing music for plays, for musicals, and I think that led to uh, your first recording deal, this would be the mid-1950s, and you recorded the tune African Waltz. Right, that's right which uh, turns out to be a giant, giant hit a few years later. I think it gets recorded by Johnny Dankworth, right? And
1: Cannibal Adderley.
0: And then Cannibal Adderley has, in 1961, it's, I looked it up, it was actually a number 64 hit single, and it was just one of these records that sort of crossed, uh, (laughs) everyone wanted to hear that record. I mean, it was a huge, huge record. Yeah,
1: It was a a good hit record. I mean, on the basis of the finance of it, I quit the church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear you got paid at least oh, yeah, I,
1: Well, I, I got paid, not huge, nothing huge But it was certainly, a, it was better than what I was making in the church
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, it, it's the interesting thing about jazz records at that time Things sort of could become a standard and get r- recorded many, many times by different artists You know, because guys like Cannonball Adderley probably put out two or three records a year Yeah So, uh, you know, a lot of people ended up recording that uh, that tune And you end up winning a Grammy for it well,
1: that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I didn't know anything about the music business in those days. I, that, that was all a surprise to me. But I went over to England then, you know, to meet uh, Johnny Dank. Well, I actually had met him before when I gave him the record, my record. But um, I, I found it hard to make <clears throat> a living in England. That was when the Beatles and um, and rock and roll was really taking hold. And I didn't have no. I had no problem with rock and roll. But by that time, I was in my thirties. I didn't. I was too old. To, to, to really be a
0: performer, hmm. uh, you moved. I guess England just ch- didn't work for you. You moved back to New <laughs> York City. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> you get ten shillings for playing a night, you know, and and I, I didn't know how to proceed from there. So I I went back to Montreal and then I said, okay, I'm going down to New York. That's where the that's where real music is. And I di- and we did. I had a, a couple of kids by that time.
0: Hmm. You met those some guys who a lot of them you're still playing with today. Guys who sort of became. Uh, guys who sort of spoke the same language as you was
1: yeah but you know that was it i got here in 64 65 and i met a guy called rick shorter who's a cousin of uh of wayne shorter he was a record producer and i he liked my piano playing so he would hire me to you know play demos make demos for publishers and and that's where i met purdy and uh, Bill, uh, jimmy lewis and a whole bunch of great, great before, uh, you know, players.
0: Yeah, Why is Bernard Purdy such a special drummer? I mean, he's really a special musician.
1: He really is. I don't know what makes a person special. He just has wonderful years, and uh, he's always inventive, and he's, he's just Terrific
0: drummer. Yeah. Is he a nice guy?
1: Lovely guy. Oh. Yeah. Couldn't ask for a nicer
0: guy. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, so you recorded this record, Shapes of Rhythm, which we just heard a few songs uh, from uh, <laughs> 1966. It's really a timeless sounding record to me.
1: <laughs> well, thank you.
0: You know what I mean? You, cause, partly because it's recorded in a very matter-of-fact way, so it's a, it, the, the technology doesn't obscure the music.
1: No, well... Th- no, well, I mean, I was a piano player, so you know, piano is a is a is an acoustic instrument, so you really don't you don't mess with it too much, mm. or at least uh, Rick Shorter actually produced that. He was in the, in the, in the uh, you know sound booth, listening to it, and putting it together. But it you know, nineteen sixty, not much. And I think we were still doing two tracks or something.
0: Hmm. Uh- and we're, what, were, what were your expectations at that point of being a, a solo music maker? Because, you know, it's not quite jazz. It's not quite R&B.
1: No. Well, it's hard to say. I, I had no expectations. All I was doing was going from one moment to the other. Hmm. You know And, and I want—I had these songs I'd written a bunch of songs Which I wanted to record So I, so that's what I did
0: And you put them out On your own label Which still thrives uh, To this day Kilmarnock And at that point Were you living in Staten Island? Yeah
1: Oh yeah We came to Staten <clears throat> we When we moved from Montreal we, Somebody was subwriting A place here And we just moved here And I found I, I it Very convenient to be here
0: Yeah Staten Island's kind of a unknown treasure Parts it, of it are
1: It's called the Arcane Borough Right
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah Uh and I guess soon after that, you met the guys who uh, were writing or putting together the musical Hair, right?
1: Well, uh, there was a guy called Nat Shapiro who, who wrote a book called Hear Me Talking to You. Do you know that book? mm it's, it's about uh, interviews with jazz musicians. And I had read the book and liked it. And a friend of mine in England told me, look up Nat Shapiro when you go over there, because he he's, really knows the music business. And he put me together with these two writers. I told him I wanted to write a musical. I figured... You know, that's something to do.
0: <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, you picked a good one. Uh, Jerome Ragney and Jim Rado, uh, right. they were actors. They were just creative guys around town, it seems like. Uh, had they just written lyrics on a sheath of paper and handed
1: it to you? No, no, no. It wasn't like that. They had written the lyrics, and they'd written the play. I mean, the, the, all the dialogue and everything was written, and the, and the lyrics were written. And I, I read it, and I said, oh, this is funny. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny. And... um then they said, well, we need the songs because we've we got to play it to Joe Papp. And um, so I wrote about maybe half a dozen or ten songs, and, we, and then we played it to Joe Papp, and Joe said, oh, sure, I'll do this.
0: Mm. Galt McDermott is my guest. Galt, tell me a little bit about the process. I mean, how do you sit down and come up with, with the right music for the, for the right lyric?
1: Well, I mean, we, did the, we talked a little bit about it. They said they wanted a rock and roll score. And I said, well, that's fine. That's exactly what I do, because I was doing all these rock and roll demo records. Mm. And um, so I I just tried to, but I really didn't try. I just did what came naturally, really. And, uh, you know, you sit in front of a lyric and you hear it. Either you hear it or you go home and try it again the next day.
0: Hmm. Uh, Were they bowled over when they first heard it? Because I I understand that they went through a few folks, composers, trying to find the right match.
1: Well, they did, yeah. I didn't know the other guys, but apparently they had talked to different people. But I I don't know if they were bowled. They seemed to be very enthusiastic. Yeah, they were nice. And they can sing. They could both perform. Hmm. And they learned the songs, and we, 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 you know, we performed them. It was really quite
0: good. Uh, the public theater ran for eight weeks, then it moved to a disco called The Cheetah for a couple months, and yeah. then it moved to Broadway, where it lasted for years.
1: Yeah,
0: that's right. It was, a, I mean, it's like a cultural milestone. It really is. I mean, that was such a turbulent, weird time for America, and... There's no way people can't include hair in, you know, it's so close to, or at least to what is perceived now as reflecting what exactly was going on.
1: Well, I think it did. I mean, the, 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 the two guys, Rayo and Ragney, were very in tune with <clears throat> the hippie movement and the sort of uh, free, uh, well, it just it, it had a free attitude to everything. And um, they were very hip guys. I mean, they were excellent lyric writers and they were funny. So, I, I, and also they were <laughs> concerned about the war and about, you know, things that were interesting people at the
0: time. Yeah, civil rights, things like that. It was really a provocative show, and it was also sort of a way to get, you know, the blue-haired folks to <laughs> to listen, you know?
1: Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Well, they did come. People came to it.
0: Oh, yeah. All over the world people came. There were uh, productions of this all over the world. Well, and-
1: Strangely enough, there still are. You know, there's two in Germany, one in Holland. I mean, they, they and one in Norway. I just heard about the other day. So people still do it,
0: and I'm not sure why exactly. <laughs> it's it's yeah. I guess the, some of those same issues are still relevant. Uh, one of the most amazing things about uh, the songs, and I think there's like 32 or 33 songs ended up being written for the show. Right. Uh, is that in this the great Broadway show tradition? You know, since the beginning of Broadway Folks, that has really been a source of popular songs People would cover those songs And uh, have actual giant hits with them. And Hair, the, the songs, I mean, the covers are endless, uh, instrumental versions and vocal versions as well. Seals yeah. uh, had a number two hit with Hair in 69. Uh, Oliver had a g- number three hit uh, in 69 with Good Morning Starshine. Uh, Nina Simone, we heard her uh, hair thing. It, it kind of goes on and on. Was it a surprise to you that the songs would be so part of, of everything?
1: Well, I don't know <laughs> if it was a surprise because, you know, you don't write these shows... T- to hide them. <laughs> you know, I I, I, right. I I was I was very gratified that people were like it, but it didn't really surprise me because I like them.
0: Yeah, they're and, great.
1: And I thought, well, if I like them, why shouldn't somebody else? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh,
0: I had Bones How uh, uh, on a couple weeks ago. He produced The Fifth uh, Dimension. Yeah, I remember him. Sure. Uh, and he says that he, he, he uh, just had the idea to put that medley together himself. Was that the kind of, was that like a sacrilege thing to you when you heard it? Did you go, wow, this is great?
1: No that didn't bother me. I, I thought it was a natural thing to do, Yeah. because um, we did quite a bit of it in the show. We put, we backed shows, uh, songs back to back. Right. Uh,
0: when I hear that Fifth Dimension record, it, to me it sound, it's sounds, it's a hit record from the first, Yeah. B- that weird stuff in the beginning, and yeah. you know, I mean, there's no question that that is just a giant hit record, and that won a Grammy as well for Best Record of the Year. Uh, your mind must have been, in some ways, going crazy.
1: <laughs> no, well, maybe maybe I just am crazy, but I, 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 you know, it seemed fairly normal to me. I, I, you know, what was happening seemed the way things should be, and of course, hmm. they're not, they're not always like
0: that. Yeah, well, it's nice when the good guys, you know, get into the the mainstream. Uh, so you, you obviously must have made some money uh, from hair. I would hope that that you did well, and a lot of that you plowed back into the label and releasing uh, records by. Folks in your circle and in yourself, in building up the the catalog of of your record label.
1: Well, I mean, you know, you write music, and but but you really don't hear it until you've recorded it or or or, or performed it. So, if, if, if and I never really had a, a relationship with a record company, RCA did the air, but that was about all. <clears throat> and then I just whatever records I wanted to make, I did.
0: Mm. Uh, you did a lot of soundtracks including uh cotton comes to harlem which is a really interesting movie yeah. uh tell me the, the 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 process there would you uh read the script or would you would you get to actually watch a rough cut when you would start the the, the process
1: i don't really remember reading a script i met with sam goldman who was the producer and we talked about the movie and then uh i think i took it i looked at the movie mm. they, they shot most of it and uh it was. A, I liked the movie. It was great.
0: Yeah, and just start, So you just sit at the piano and start writing?
1: I don't know if I even... I, I don't remember how I did it, but I, I, <laughs> I... Yeah, I just started writing, and I used quite a few songs. I used to work with a guy called Dumaresk who lived in England, and he We've been writing songs, you know, for, for years, and so I took some of those and put them in the movie, in that movie. Uh,
0: I had Lalo Schifrin on the show once, and he said something that to him was very matter-of-fact, but to me, I it kind of blew my mind he said that when he composes he just sits down with you know uh with music staff paper and a pen and composes not not necessarily at a piano which to me seems but he said oh it's just like a language just like spanish or anything it's just once you learn the language you don't need the you know the piano in front of you
1: no well that's true i mean uh, especially songs if i if i get a lyric and look at the lyric. I I hear it. I hear a melody. So then I have to have a piece of paper and write it down. Sometimes on that piece of paper, you know, the, piece, the same piece of paper that the lyrics on. Uh-huh. But then it takes a bit of work. You know, you can't just you can't just hand that over to somebody. You got to figure <laughs> it out the chords and all that.
0: Right, smooth it out a bit. Uh, so this whole time you're doing soundtracks and. Uh, Music for musicals like Two Gentlemen of Verona, another big hit. And you're traveling. You're raising a family. Uh, hair is sort of continuing to to get bigger and bigger. And the the film comes out in 79. And uh, you've put together the New Pulse Jazz Band. A lot of those same guys again. Uh, and you're still composing. Do you compose every day?
1: <laughs> well, I don't get an idea every day, but I try to. Huh. Yeah.
0: And in apparently in the basement of your house were all these tapes and all these LP records, right? <laughs> right. And there's those two great uh, compilations up from the basement, which have some of just great funky tracks that...
1: <laughs> s- s- yeah, well, a guy called, uh, called um, Ethan uh, Allopat, you know, got in touch with me and uh, went down there in the basement and listened to just about everything down there and put those two records together. Mm. And he released those on. I don't know what they're on. I
0: think they're not on Kamanik. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, Yeah, there's some great. Some of them are just little snippets, but they're very (laughs) Very funky. Yeah, funky instrumental stuff. And right about that time, you get discovered by the R and B crowd, the hip hop guys, the guys who you know find little two bar, four bar. bar. Yeah, and they hook them together and make songs. And uh, uh, Buster Rhymes platinum. uh, Yeah. Yeah, woohoo! <laughs> got you all in check. Yes, uh, a bunch of folks, naughty by nature. Um,
1: Down with the king! Down with the king!
0: The beatnuts. There's just like, a, was that? I mean, that's another thing. It just sort of seems to make sense.
1: Well, it it's, it, it makes sense. I didn't even hear about it for a long time. I didn't know. What, I didn't know what was going on. And then the Buster Rhymes people called me and made a deal with with with, uh, with my actually with my lawyer. And that was the first time. But there had been a lot of those, uh, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but several uh, of those, you know, rap records that they used. And I, I kind of like what they were doing.
0: Yeah, it is interesting when you hear, sometimes you can really hear hear it, and sometimes it's slightly obscured. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would imagine you would be chuffed. You would, you know. Right. Just, just that would be a interesting. I'd love it if, you know.
1: Well, I mean, I thought that it was nice that they liked it. You know, it's nice when somebody appreciates the music and then they make they develop it. That, that that's lovely.
0: Yeah, and keep it contemporary. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh here you just uh
0: did a uh, 40th anniversary production. Right. Which you played keyboards in. Mm-hmm. And some of the original cast came back. How was that? What was that experience? Oh, like? that
1: was one, that was really good. They put together a great cast of young kids. And, you know, there's no better place to play a show than in a park. It's it's, it's just a great place to put on a show. Right, it was
0: at the uh, Delacorte Theater.
1: Yeah, and we had a big band, and Purdy played, and Wilbur and the usual guys. And um, it was just a very nice show. Uh,
0: there's a movie that I, I don't know if it's completed yet, or if it's coming out, Ear of the Heart, The Music of Galt McDermott. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: that's about my music
0: there's a documentary on you i think it's coming out next next year is it it, i don't
1: know i mean i have i'm in touch with them but i haven't heard of a release date yet
0: uh on the internet says 2008 is it finished
1: i think it's sort of finished but you know they never stop editing and fixing it
0: yeah uh i'm looking forward to that is is there any surprises in that
1: um well not to me (laughs) (laughs) maybe somebody else
0: yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you've got a gig Monday at the West Bank Cafe here in New York City, forty yeah. second Street West of Ninth Avenue, seven thirty p.m. What kind? Of, what will? What can folks expect?
1: Well, it, it's a little like what you've been just playing, mm-hmm. instrumental. It's all instrumental stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes I bring in singers, but on Monday we're not we're not doing singers.
0: It says. Uh, I think the website says special holiday show. Okay. Is there any holiday uh, business <laughs> well, my going my birthday
1: is the next day, ah. and Christmas is coming up.
0: Wow. <laughs> well, happy birthday. I'm, I'm glad you keep working. Uh, I've got one final song here queued up. The song is called Space.
1: Oh, yeah, that's Buster Rhymes thing.
0: Yeah, the Buster Rhymes thing. Do you remember recording it? Do you remember writing it? Oh, sure.
1: I, I don't remember writing it. I remember recording it because we did it for a movie. Called "A Woman Is Sweeter."
0: Right, and like a record like this would uh, just recorded live, pretty much, or yeah, we just—I
1: think it was just one take. It was, a, you know, on that one it was Idris Muhammad playing drums, ah. so it has a different feel.
0: Yeah, another fantastic drummer.
1: Great,
0: yeah, another great guy. <laughs> uh, Galt McDermott, it has really been a pleasure to visit with you and. Uh, Good luck with everything. I, I'm just, uh, you know, one of my favorites. There's just so much great music. With oh, your, well, thank you. Your name attached to it. And uh, it's uh, Monday night at the West Bank Cafe, and we'll look for that movie. And uh, there is lots of stuff on your website, which is galtmcdermott.com. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Galt. Take
1: care.